Good morning. For you guys who are live streaming in and you guys who are in the room, we're very glad that you're here and you're watching by live stream or you get to be in the room this morning. I'm very glad to see you guys. Um, we're starting a new journey in the book of uh, today, the book of Acts. We're not going to be studying through the book of Acts, but we're going to be coming back to the book of Acts a lot because topically we're going to be studying through the church and we'll be looking at what the church is. Now we're going to take you on this journey because at no greater time in the history of the church in North America is there a better time to dive into God's word and see who this precious entity called the church is. And so we're going to focus on learning essence, and then we're going to come to the very backside of this study, and we're going to focus on uh, some application and what that looks like strategically and tactically in our city. And so we're going to have a good time with this study, so I want you to have your Bibles ready. You can go to Acts 2 right now, and uh, we're going to jump into that passage and, and look at it from a very high view to look at some characteristics of the church from Acts chapter 2. So if you're going to put a title on this today, it would be Characteristics of the Church from Acts 2. Now, if you're at home live streaming, um, I want to encourage you to go to the blog, MitchJolly.com, and you're going to see the notes there. And I want to encourage our Radical Life groups, uh, those who are here this morning and those who are live streaming in, let that be the content of your discussion. Please don't go study other things. If you go study other things, you're going to find yourself as a group somewhere out off course from the rest of us. So use those notes and study them together today and as the week moves on so that as we're studying the church, we're tracking together, moving in the same direction. And so today we're looking at characteristics of the church from Acts 2. And let me just say this. You guys know me, you've been around long enough to know, this is really hard for me to get in 30 minutes, but if I get to the 30 minute mark and we're not done, I'll stop, I promise you, okay? I really do, I promise you. But the notes are there, you guys go study, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you're priests of the Lord, you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, and His Word is a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. And if you go study His Word, you will see it. And how cool is that, that he will equip you for the work that is in front of you. So here's where we're going to start. Hold Acts 2, but I'm going to start us in Revelation 5, 9 to 10. And, and, and it's with this statement. And it's a big note, big notation. Get this. The church is the context of the entire New Testament. The church is the context of the entire New Testament. You're going to be hard-pressed to find explicit definitions of the church in the Bible because they're not there. They are absolutely assumed as the context of the entire writing of the New Testament. The Gospels are tracts written by disciples on mission making disciples for a contextual presentation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. You go study the book of John, the Gospel of John that's unique from Matthew, Mark, and Luke because it's written for an Ephesian setting for a Gentile church that emphasizes the spiritual nature of the deity of Christ for people who need to see and hear that. Matthew is written for a predominantly Jewish audience who needs to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. And so the Gospels are tracts written to preach Jesus Christ, His person, and His work on mission. Isn't that great? That's kind of fun. And then, and then Acts is the study of the church's 
birth and growth from the kingdom of God. And then the letters are named after the churches that they're written to. And then letters on the backside written by apostles and disciples to churches as they're on mission. So the church is the entire context of the New Testament. That's special. And it helps you to see that you want to learn about the church? Go to the manual and read it. All of it. And it will tell you more than we're going to cover in this short time that we're going to study the church. Revelation 5, 9 to 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you. Who's you? Jesus, the Lamb who was slain and has risen and has ascended to the Father to rule the nations. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. What a statement. And what a glorious thing. That could be a whole sermon. And I'm tempted to just do that right now. But I have all these notes I want to share with you. The church is a people ransomed. That means Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension has taken a people and he's purchased them out of sin and slavery to sin. But they're a people that have been ransomed by God and they're from every tribe and nation. Meaning they're a multi-ethnic, multinational, unified body that Jesus has saved. And what did he do to them? He made them a kingdom. They're a a rulership under a king who's the king. He's the lamb who bought them. So they're a people who have a rulership. They have an ethic. They have a constitution called the scriptures. And they're ruled over by a king, King Jesus. And what do they do? They reign. Where do they reign? They reign on earth. Right? We are, then we're told here, we're, Priest to our God. So, so that's who we are. This precious entity. I'm not going to give you a full-blown definition of the church just yet. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. Because we're going to pile up some good biblical data before we try to make a definition of it. But, but there's a passage that's key in us defining what the church is. It's not to our advantage today. And I want you to hear this. Okay, guys? I want you to hear this. Very important. It's not to our advantage that much of what we know as church is assumed... And it is, it's assumed from a consumer marketing context rather than from Scripture, missiologically applied to a context. So much of what we think about the church comes from a marketing consumer context rather than the Scriptures defining what the church is applied missiologically to a particular context. In order for us to missiologically apply what the church looks like in context, which, by the way, the Bible never, ever, ever gives us a how-to on church. The how-to is supposed to be figured out by disciples on mission in context because they know who the church is, who bought her, and what her mission is. So in order for us to do that, though, that would mean we know the essence of the church and we wrestle with its application, which is exactly what we find happening in the New Testament. Which is why Paul and Peter and these guys had to write letters to these churches to go, Hey, good question. Oh my goodness, you're dealing with that. Let's address that. Didn't know that was going to happen. They really didn't know. They knew who Jesus is and who they were in Christ. They knew what the mission was. And as they advanced the kingdom, they ran upon challenges. And they would go, what are we supposed to do? That's a good question. Let's figure that out. Let's go to the manual and see. Because they were missiologically applying the essence of the church to their 
context. Far too much of church life is spent managing degrees of service and comforts and provisions and unbiblical expectations rather than advancing a kingdom agenda as priest ambassador rulers under the authority of King Jesus on his mission. An inordinate amount of American church life is spent managing comforts, not advancing mission. And Three Rivers Church, you haven't been trained that way. You've been trained to be on mission, and we want to keep that in front of us during this time. So let's jump in. Let's jump in a little bit. A vital piece of information for us here. I promise we're going to get to Acts 2. This is all introduction. We're getting there. The word used in the Bible, we translate church, is a key word, and it's the word ekklesia. I try not to throw too many Greek words on you there, but this is an important word, ekklesia. It's the word that is translated church in your Bible. In the New Testament, this word is always, always used to designate a local gathering of Christians, never a location, never a building. Ever, 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 ever is ecclesia applied to a building. The root of the word ecclesia is ekkalao, ek out of kaleo to call, called out, meaning the church, the ecclesia, is the called out gathering of the people of God. Where have they been called out from? The world. Who called them out? Jesus. Because he called them out, they are now brothers and sisters, multi-ethnic priests, ambassadors of Jesus Christ on his mission. They are the called out people of God. The word ecclesia is not unique to the New Testament. In fact, it was used all across the Greek world to describe a public gathering of citizens who were called out by the leaders of cities for a particular purpose. You can see an example of that in Acts 19, 39, where Ephesus city leaders called a public gathering on how to deal with these Christians who were getting in the way of the sale of trinkets from the worship of Artemis. And so the citizens came together because their city leaders ecclesiaed them out so that they could publicly gather and deal with this issue. And this is important because it defines for us how the Holy Spirit chooses to use this word applied to the church. That the church is the public gathering and called out people of God for a purpose. Meaning the church has a public nature to it. She is a local church. She's not just a hidden people. She is a people called into the public square. And there's a public nature. And there's a public gathering component to it. And don't hear gathering meaning central gathering only. That's purely western. That's not biblical. Gathering means Christians gathered wherever they happen to gather on mission. Meaning you guys watching by live stream wherever you are. You are the church gathered. If you're on mission in covenant fellowship with a body doing work, you are ecclesia. You're not less than. Any feeling of less than is not coming from the Lord or the Bible or anybody. It's inside of you condemning you. Does that make sense? Ecclesia is the gathered public body of Christ. It's beautiful. Absolutely amazing. And that people are called out on purpose, meaning the church has a mission. And we'll talk about that next week. The actual word church, the actual word church is a word that 
we used to translate ecclesia into, and it's a Germanic word, right? The word church is not a Greek word. Church is a German word, and it's kirke, all right? You didn't come for a grammar or vocabulary lesson, but it's important. And so, kirke means house of God. So, Greek, ecclesia, called out, public gathering the people of God, on mission, church, house of God. And already, maybe if your mind is turning a little bit, you're thinking, that's where the confusion comes for me when I falsely assume the church is a building and not a people. So, it's okay to translate ecclesia church, that's fine. It's just that we need to make sure that when we're dealing with the word church, we don't falsely assume it means a place or merely, merely a central gathering. Are you tracking with me? You there? You can nod, right? Are you tracking? All right, so the church is a called out people of God. It's not a place. And therefore, we must make sure we treat it that way. In fact, ecclesia is used by the Jewish scholars, 70 of them, who translated the Old Testament into Greek to describe the people of the Lord on Yahweh's mission. So that when you read the Old Testament, you might find this word, the congregation of Israel. That's this word, ecclesia. Remembering that the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. It was written on God's mission for His purposes by various authors. So the Holy Spirit inspired this idea of congregation that is written into the text to describe the people of God. Therefore, therefore, therefore. The Bible defines the ecclesia of Jesus Christ as all of those who are of the faith of Abraham who've come after the Lord Jesus to follow Him and His mission. The ecclesia of Jesus isn't defined by time, culture, coronavirus, my preferences or your preferences, strategic choices or our feelings. The manual, God's Word, defines who and what the church is and her mission And that is absolutely beautiful and essential. So we've set the stage just a little bit. Thank you for indulging me and helping set the background for understanding church. And just by the way, I was talking with our elders this morning. It feels so cheap to give you such little information. There are volumes written on the church. And I would love to do a five-year study with you on the ecclesia. But you might get bored. So we're going to try to squeeze it in. And trust you to go read your Bible and study this together. Use the notes that are provided for you. All right, characteristics of the local church. Here we go. Number one. We're going to see this in Acts 1-3. So you can flip over to Acts 1-3. Hold your finger there. And then flip all the way over to the end of the book of Acts. In Acts 28, 30, and 31. Because I want you to see something God does here in this passage through Luke authoring this text, using literature to show us this point. Here's the first characteristic. The church is the special manifestation of the kingdom of God. In Acts 1-3, Jesus himself spends this time with the disciples. And this is Luke writing in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. So what is Jesus spending his time before he ascends to heaven and leaves them bodily until he returns again? He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Well, 
What does Paul do at the end of the book of Acts? Acts 28. Acts 28, 30 and 31. Paul is in a Roman house prison set up. And here's what the Bible tells us. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming what? The kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness without hindrance. This is a little literary device called an inclusio, meaning it's the beginning and the end, and it defines the content of what's in between. What do we find in between? We find the church. Therefore, we say it at Three Rivers Church, K-D, you can finish it, S-C. The church is what happens when the gospel of the kingdom is preached. Disciples are made. They function in the public squares, the called out people of God to make other disciples. Jesus builds his church. The church is the special manifestation of the kingdom of God. Which is why Jesus preached the kingdom. Which is why Jesus preached his rule, his reign, his salvation. Which means, listen to this, it's important. Our message, and it's going to be one of our points here in a minute, is the good news of the rule and salvation of Jesus. It's a supernatural, powerful message that transforms people. That takes dead people to life. Blind people to sight. People who are out to being people who are in, by itself, without my help, without your help. The gospel of the kingdom saves and builds the church of Jesus Christ. And the whole book of Acts does does that for us in its very structure. So the church is the special manifestation of the kingdom of God. So Three Rivers Church, you are proof that the kingdom of God is alive and active gathering people from Roman Floyd County. And those of you who are here this morning and those of you who are scattered around the world as he gathers people to you. He's building his church because the gospel of the kingdom is that powerful. That makes me excited. Second observation in regard to the characteristics of the local church is what I just referenced, is the church has a powerful gospel. Notice in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 36, and then in verse 37 to 40, we see here this message that is preached is a message that comes from the Bible. And has power to transform people. The Holy Spirit has gifted the apostles to speak in the languages of the people who are gathered from all over the known world. Through the dispersion of Jewish people all over the world and their disciple making, they've now come back to Jerusalem for the feasts. And they are gathered from all over the world. And the Lord chose this time strategically because they would be present. And He gave the Holy Spirit to them. He sent the Spirit to indwell His people forever. And he gifted them with the ability to speak in the language of the people present. And here's what Peter does. Because they hear this and people say, God, they're drunk. They're just talking out of their minds because they've been drinking. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. And he says here in verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he preaches from the passage. He preaches that this is what is promised in the last days. FYI, the last days aren't yet to come. You've been in them since right here. Okay? Very important. Which means the completion of the gospel could truly be any moment. Which is why Jesus' parables make so much sense now. Be ready at any moment. Be ready at any moment. Why? Because the end's already come. There's nothing left to be fulfilled. 
So Jesus says, be on your game. Be ready. Don't go to sleep. Have everything prepared. Don't think I'm going to be delayed. Be ready, be ready, be ready. Be about the task. So he preaches in these last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to save people. And then he goes into Jesus. This Jesus, you guys crucified. Him? David wrote about him. David wasn't writing about himself. David was writing about Jesus as a prophet of God. He prophesied that he would not see decay. And the Lord raised him up. And the Lord made him Lord in Christ. This Jesus you crucified. Try that one at the coffee shop tomorrow. Right? And he preaches this gospel message. And look what happens. Verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What cut them? His oratory style? No. The preaching of the passage. And they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord will call to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness... And continue to exhort them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized. And there were added, added to who? The church. That day, 3,000 souls. How did 3,000 people come into the kingdom of God that day? Through the preaching of the powerful gospel. So listen, Three Rivers Church. I think in our town we have an evangelism problem. We don't have a good works problem. We do lots of good works. We don't have a, we like to get together and worship problem. We do. I think one of the challenges we have is a gospel preaching problem. Why do we see lack of conversion? There are all kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons. One is, much of our context is a a cultural Christian context where people have substituted the God of the Bible for some other God and called that God Jesus. Right? All manner, all manner. Of deities disguised with the Christian t-shirt. So we don't quite know what to say to them. Or they say they're Christian so we don't think we should preach the good news. And so we don't do it. Or maybe we're afraid of that message. Maybe because of, of how it sounds in the public square we may fear ridicule. But I want, I want us to understand the only powerful message we have is not how to do church. Not how to sing better songs or how to preach better sermons. The only powerful thing we have is the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, His salvation and His rule. That's it. That's the only powerful message we have. We don't have, we don't have a powerful political message. We don't have a powerful COVID message. We don't have any message that carries any eternal weight other than this gospel preached in Acts 2 that will take people from death to life. So listen, I want to encourage you, whether you think they're saved or not, just try it out. Right? We have to get to a place where we're unashamed of the gospel and we'll tell people, look, listen, Jesus doesn't want just your Sunday attendance. He demands all of you. When Christ calls you, He bids you come and die to you and live to Him, which is really life. There's where you find life. You're trodden through a field and you stumble over something and you look down and it's a treasure chest and you dig it up and realize it's full of gold and it's full of diamonds and it's worth Everything more than I have. So I go sell everything and come after that field to get that treasure. Because that's worth more. Jesus said that's what it is to find him. And so much of our town finds its value in a hundred other things than Jesus. They need to stumble upon the chest hidden in the field. And you know where it's at. 
You know. You know what it is. Open it up and show them the gold and the diamonds of Jesus and His work, right? Right? Do you believe that? And if we believe that, this powerful message, it is our message. So much of what we present is what we can offer you. We present we have this and we have that. And you know what it does? It attracts people from other churches. And really what we do is we swap sheep. That's not gospel. The gospel message takes dead people and makes them alive. The church has the characteristic of a powerful gospel. Spent more time on that one than I needed to. Here we go. Number three. And there are 12 total and I'm just on number three. So I may have to stop. Okay. So here we go. Number three. The church has an entry point. You know what? Not everybody in the world is a citizen of the kingdom of God, a member of the local church. You know that? The church has an entry point. And that entry point is faith. You will find in the book of Acts, repentance and faith used equally. Sometimes they will say repentance. Sometimes they will say faith. Don't be confused. It's not two things. It's one thing. Really? Ready? Check this out. Faith is repenting from sin and trusting Jesus. Repenting from sin and trusting Jesus is faith. They work together. You can't separate them. So sometimes when the Bible says faith and sometimes when it says repentance, it's saying the same thing, right? So the entry point into the church is faith in Jesus or repentance and trusting Jesus. And then public confession through baptism. Baptism doesn't save. Don't misunderstand. That's subservient to faith. But faith then gets on team Jesus with the public proclamation that they're on team Jesus by an action that puts on display the work of the cross and the death to my sin and the life I've been given in Christ. So the entryway into the church, one of her characteristics is faith and that followed by baptism putting on display the work of the cross. Acts 2, 38. What does Peter do? How does he respond to them when they say, Good Lord, this message is awesome. What are we supposed to do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Here, verse 41. Those who receive the word, you could even say receive the word, is synonymous with repent. It's synonymous with have faith. They received the word because they received the word. They've repented. They've had faith. What happens? They were baptized and they were added to the church that day, 3,000 souls. So the church has an entry point. Listen, guys. Listen to me very carefully. Strategically, the entry point into the church isn't your radical life group and it's not Sunday morning worship. It's the gospel. And it's the invitation to believe in Jesus and come after him and get on his team. And then... Then, coming to morning Sunday morning worship means something. Coming to your group means something. Doesn't mean those two things can't be used strategically as an instrument to expose people to Jesus. They can. But that's not the entry point. The entry point is believe in Jesus and get on His team. Alright? So, fourth characteristic we see about the church in Acts 2 is the church is devoted to the apostles' teaching. Acts 2.42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching teaching. There's a devotion to the exposition of the scriptures. I think this is important. When he says the apostles teaching, the emphasis is not on apostle, it's on teaching. 
You're going to learn later on in the book of Acts that Barnabas is also called an apostle. It's easy to put emphasis on apostle and not on teaching. So don't miss apostle. It's not unimportant. It's just not the point. They were devoted to the teaching that was brought by the apostles. What were the apostles teaching? The Bible. What Bible was it? Genesis to Malachi. They were preaching the gospel from the text. If you go back and look at Peter's sermon, he preaches from Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. He preaches from Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11. And then he preaches from Psalm 110, verse 1. They're preaching from the Bible. So what are they devoted to? The Bible's preaching. Three Rivers Church, this is why we come to the text and we open it up and we try to teach you from it. What do we say? It's in the manual. It's in the manual. What do you and I need to be devoted to? What is in the manual? So one of our characteristics is we're a Bible-centric, Bible-teaching fellowship. I would say any church that isn't, isn't a church. Its message isn't coming from the right place. So the church is devoted to the apostles' teaching. Number five, the church is devoted to fellowship. Acts 2, 42, verse 44, and verse 45. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. Even... Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You notice this thing there? They are together. The Bible uses a word for this. It's called fellowship. And that fellowship is defined by who brings them together. And it is the koinonia. That's that word that's used there. The fellowship. The unity of the people who are in Christ. So they were devoted to fellowship. In other words, this word devoted is key because the word devoted follows many of these characteristics through verse 42 to 47. They were devoted to the teaching that the apostles were bringing from the Bible. They were devoted to fellowship. Meaning, there's only so many things you could be devoted to. Right? But they found what was necessary as the church and they were devoted to those things. Guys, listen. The church, if properly done, will cause us to Cut off things that we should not be devoted to. I don't know if you noticed or not, but we live in a time that is always vying for your time and mine. Isn't it? There are a hundred things that want your time. But if we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we must be devoted to fellowship. Teaching from the Bible and fellowship with the people who are on mission together. Number six, the church is devoted to the Lord's Supper, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread has the article. I didn't know you didn't get a grammar lesson today, but the article is the the. It's a definite article, not an indefinite article, meaning it's defining some kind of thing. It's something specific. What is it? It's the Lord's Supper. Most scholars agree here that this is referencing the Lord's Supper. Luke, who wrote Acts, recorded for us in Luke 24, verse 35, about the two disciples who walked with Jesus on the road when their eyes were opened to understand who He was. Do you guys remember when it was? At the breaking of bread. Same language here. 
Luke who wrote Luke and Luke who wrote Acts uses that language, meaning that there is in this moment the sharing of this meal that we do every Sunday, taking the bread, taking the cup to remind us of the teaching of the Bible, which is the gospel. So they were devoted to it, which is why we go through all the trouble to pass out these dumb little things now that have the the styrofoam and, and tart juice in them, right? Because whatever the elements we're using... We don't forget to be devoted to the gospel. The bread of life. His blood spilled to save us. We remind. That's where we start. Because it's our powerful message. Verse 42, they were devoted to prayer. I don't mean to give prayer a lick and a promise, but we've got to roll. They were devoted to prayer, so we do corporate prayer. You need to pray in your groups. You need to have a prayer life. Number 8, verse 46, the church was daily gathering in the temple together and house to house. Verse 46, and day by day, daily. In other words, church for them, ecclesia wasn't a one day a week deal. Dang. Right? Day by day, attending the temple. So there was a big gathering. And then together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were devoted to day by day, making sure that in some manner, some fashion, they were checking up checking in. And in their context, they had to go through Solomon's portico. They had to go to the temple. So they gathered. They did whatever they did. It didn't doesn't tell us what they did, but they gathered there. And then house to house. In other words, there was devotion to being together on mission. And we read Acts 3 and 4, how that led to public proclamation of the gospel. Verse 46, number 9, the church daily interacted over some manner of food with gladness and generosity. So they daily found a way to do something together, and they did it with gladness. It wasn't begrudging. Verse 47, they worshiped. Praising God and having favor with all the people. So they worked worship into their routine. Number 11, the church has favor in the public square. They had favor with all the people. These beautiful characteristics of the church is the church had favor. Listen, man. Listen to me. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're a priest of God. And when you work in the public square, you represent more than you, your family, even your church. You represent Jesus. And as you represent Christ, then you do represent His church. And you do represent your family's name in that church. So make sure in our work that we display the characteristic of having favor with the people. And then finally, number 12, the church increased by Jesus through the preached powerful gospel. We saw in verse 41, the Lord added to their number 3,000 souls. And in verse 47, day by day, He added to their number those who were being saved. And those are just 12 easy ones to pick out of the text. Characteristics of the church. Final thing, application, and I'm over by a couple minutes. I'm going to stop. I'm surprised we got through all 12. We went fast. Three rivers, how do we apply this? You ready? Look around you. We have striven for 17 plus years to make sure we try to stay on mission. We constantly remind you and ourselves of what we say for God's glory, disciple the nations, and we try to equip you with our DNA to live on mission in Rome. Because listen, if you're not living on mission here, you're not going to live mission on mission there. 
We want you to live on mission here. Look around you, Three Rivers. Everything is trying to gravitationally pull you into a system that will get you off mission, which is why when we come back together and we look at the Word, it forces us to stay on task. And it creates tension because we want to get pulled over here. We want this, we want that, but Jesus says, my name among the nations, right? And so look around you. We are striving to do that. Three Rivers, we're not done. We have impacted the world by God's grace through the powerful preached gospel. We've impacted our cities where we are represented. And although your name is not written in lights at massive church growth conferences, you have expanded the kingdom of Jesus Christ in the dark corners of our city and the world. And it's not because we're good. It's because the gospel is powerful. And through the church, he bears witness to his name. And you are getting it done. How cool is that, right? That's awesome. You ought to be like charismatically shouting at this point. Your work has not been in vain. Is it hard? Yes. Is COVID a challenge now? Yes. But it's a first world problem. You're sitting in an air conditioned room with fans and TVs and sound and live stream, man. You got it made. The gospel's advancing and you've been on the front lines of that three rivers. So do not lose what you have gained. Do not lose what you've gained. Let's keep working. Let's keep grinding out faithful obedience to God's word. Seeking his kingdom together. And in so doing, let's make sure we don't forget to do what they did. Praising God. So I'm going to pray and we're going to worship together. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you help us to worship you well. We ask that you help us to make much of you well. Lord, we ask that you would cause your word to cause us to see who you are as the people of God who worship well because we engage well and we do your mission well. At the end of the day, Lord Jesus, you sent us on a mission to bring the nations into the worship of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission exists because worship doesn't among the nations. So we ask you to help us as the people of God who exhibit these characteristics, as the called out people of the Lord in public on mission, to preach this good news, to live out these characteristics, to put them into practice so that those who don't see can see, those who are dead can live be brought into the glorious, happy, joyous rule of Jesus Christ in the local church. Lord, help us to be and do all those things. That is deeper than we can imagine right now. That's broader than we can stretch our arms to. But it's not too big for you. So help us to do those things. But right now, the task at hand is to worship. To be a worshiping people. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would ignite that in our soul. It would come out of our mouths in song and be translated into the lives we live and the gospel we preach this afternoon and tomorrow and all this next week. And we pray this in Jesus' name.